Thank you for being a part of the Indiscussible journey. We're really pleased to bring you this special bonus episode. This is part two. The content you're about to hear might be triggering for some people, so please do take care. If there was one thing I could change when it comes to domestic abuse, it would be to take away the shame that is attached to it for two reasons. One, because it's what traps victims not only in it, but long after. Shame is an incredibly powerful emotion that can become wired in victims' brains so that they believe they're inadequate. This causes self-destructive behaviour and victims to almost take on the perpetrator's abuse towards themselves. It's my fault, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm a failure. We take on the perpetrator's messages as our own. The abuser can then blame the victim. Pushing their own shame onto their victim is what narcissists do to protect themselves because ultimately it is their own unbearable internalized shame that controls them. Two, because it is a weapon for perpetrators to keep victims move from victim to victim in plain sight with no accountability or consequence or change. It is passed on like a contagious disease. My mum was made to feel ashamed, and so was I. Remember, every Christmas I was the only person who never put any weight on. I remember we had, we'd always had bad Christmases, because it'd just be a nightmare. And I remember telling uh, the lady in the car park at work, and I'd go to work, and I'd sort of be relieved that it wasn't back to routine. I could get away from it for a bit, going to work. And um, she said, oh, do you have a nice Christmas? I go, no, it was horrible. And, I, and it's a very slow progression how I started admitting to people over the years how bad it was in small increments at certain times. And eventually I would start telling people bit by bit bit I mean it when I think about it it's taken years and years of things for me to realize what is going on and I'm not standing this anymore it's funny because even with me like doing this process because I felt like I was never allowed to to talk about my family or my past and it was like I had to be two people and and it's really hard to be that because I felt I always had to, I could never be myself and I could never be vulnerable. I could never, you know, I was always kind of protecting this past and this, mm. this what my family was. And then when I've done this podcast and, you know, sp- spoken a little bit about it and we've, because we never spoke about it at all never. did we oh never never like, we never had a conversation about it and and even i you know i spoke to you about whether i should do any you know any a couple of media pieces and i felt scared about doing them and i felt almost shame and about doing them and mm. and shame about you know saying oh yeah like he abused me and he did this stuff to me and it's crazy how that shame of the, I'll use the phrase perpetrator gets put on on you the victim it's almost like they do these things and then you feel bad about it as if oh, it's I your fault bad. I felt like I was the bad person all the time I felt like I was a bad person but then isn't it funny because that's how I used to feel mm. and then that became my thing 
that I used to feel like I was the bad person and I used to feel that if it wasn't for me that you'd be happy and it was all because of me that you weren't happy and that this happened because he used to blame it on me whenever there was massive arguments or he did stuff it oh, used yeah, to be my fault that, that's astounding he, he, he would and it, it's jealousy jealousy and, he, and yeah and even to this day you know you now left it, he was still blaming me I think in understanding domestic abuse, it's important to look at what causes somebody to behave like that. I've always found that ultimately, it comes from a place of deep self-loathing. He never really liked himself, didn't think he was good enough, didn't think he was clever enough. And the only way to keep somebody was to bully them. Yeah, and so it ultimately comes... Yeah. Out of a place of them not feeling and like they're lovable. And yeah. they're not lovable. And they're actually not liking themselves. And it comes out in in that way. I mean, you can feel sorry for them. But unless they are willing to go and get some help and some counselling to understand their underlying history, they're not going to change. But ultimately, what I I think they're just full of lies... They lie to themselves and believe their own lies, so they become a lie. Because he always betrayed himself as the victim. Yeah, is oh, it in the course, sense that it yeah. was like, yeah. it was because you know, he was a victim of this. Even when you left, it was your fault, and it you know, was. it was our fault, and it was my fault, and you know, he blamed me for, for everything, and you know, even said that I was, I'd been plotting against him since I was. Seven. seven you know so they'll do anything to convince mm. their own lies I suppose so what would your advice be for somebody that was in this situation and how to leave because I think you know it, it's you have to be really careful with oh, somebody like that be because really it's heavy. when you when you actually break the power that's when they're at their most yeah. dangerous really because they can't control to. you anymore I mean I the only advice I say is I couldn't have being there obviously without you and your support and the boys support but not everybody will have that so I'd say you need to go and get advice from women's aid and have support from them because I I don't I know I was gonna go and I went and I didn't even think really through of how bad it was gonna be trying to work through my own fears as well fear of a new neighbourhood that was scary I don't even remember I couldn't even remember where the end of the road was yeah I know remember yeah. you go mum it's just down there and I, uh, I couldn't remember where the end of the road was which end was the which road and just hearing new sounds just having that support from yes it's trying to find a safe space yeah it's finding That's a safe really space important. away away from them definitely away my mum was so scared, and I was scared for her, so she initially came to stay with me in my home for two weeks, which is in a different part of the country to where their home was, which he was in. I came here for two weeks. Yeah, you did. Took two weeks off work because I was really scared. And I came, and the minute I was down here, I was fine. I think I couldn't have done it without actually 
owning up, and not owning up, because it's not like I've done a crime. It's like owning up to your crime, it's something you stole. No, it, it, it's not owning up, it's being truthful, opening up to yourself, being truthful to yourself. But that and is it, really important, yeah. though, in domestic abuse, and it is important that we're not scared to say those things, because it's not owning up, and it's not your fault, and it's never the victim's fault, but the only way to get out of it is to admit what's going on, yeah, because you accept people. things as normal, yeah. and then you just... I mean, the amount of times I've listened... You know, God, we could sit here for hours going through... Sitting here for two days, going, going through everything that happened. Yeah. There was so many things that happened, but you know, I suppose what I'm trying to do here is is be educational and help and give advice. But the thing I've heard you so many times like downplay things and and it yeah, and it's numb like, it down, numb it down. But even like but even I did I myself still, though, even now I still and so do I. I do. Yeah, and um, so do I. The, I think I do too. Yeah. I think I downplay it. I think sometimes at particularly this time of year I get like quite shocked at what what we've put up with, covered up, shined over, <laughs> you know, it well, Yeah, because even, yeah. even I was, when I was hospitalised, even when I was in a, co- in a coma and they weren't sure whether I was going to live, he, that was still happening behind the scenes. He was, was still... Yeah. still he I was, remember walking up and down the corridor, still getting it shouted at over the phone. Just to fill you in a bit here, I was critically ill a few years back in a coma on life support. I was hospitalised in Rio, Brazil. My mum flew over in an emergency as I'd been given 24 hours to live. What happened is another story for another time. It's a long one. But my stepdad wanted my mum to go back home to him. He shouted at her on the phone repeatedly that he needed her to fly back because he needed her, despite the fact that I was critically ill fighting for my life. Because he wanted you to come home. Yeah. He didn't want you to be there. I had to come back. Yeah, I mean, even that, but even that... I didn't tell you that either, did I? I've just... No. Well, you haven't told me everything, but you told me that. I told you that after, but not... No, not... Well, no, I was in a coma. Yeah, no, when you when you came back, <laughs> when I didn't I was, tell you that. <laughs> when I came I back from the dead. All I was doing was running scared, because all the time, just to... But even that, for a short while, we went back into normal know, life even though he did that I know but just you know it's but painful I, thinking I know and you it. just put your your hands oh, to your face and I'm not saying like, it to distress you I'm no. saying it to really show the the power that these people hold and you're right when you said it it wasn't until you started to face the things that that happened that you can go oh my gosh this it's, is it's horrific okay, and yeah. it's not okay yeah yeah, um, it, it's talking about it to to people as well, and um, and then you find actually because I found I couldn't make friends for a long time because I was guarded because I was I was guarded and hiding and not an open person. The minute I I left and became that open person, it's like a world opened to me as if the doors opened. I stopped being that guarded person. I stopped being that hiding person to hide what was going on at home. And all of a sudden, I I had friends, like new people who were friends, and I thought, oh, actually, I quite like myself. I'm okay, and I can talk to people. And then the people I've been working with for years suddenly became my friends. 
And it's funny because I remember one of the things that you said repeatedly oh, for the no, first... I know. <laughs> I remember you telling me. I remember. For the I first... said, People are being nice to me. And you go, Mum, that's normal. And I go, and I go, oh, they're being so nice. And, and you'd be like, they're nice to me. They're so nice. And I was like, that's normal. I, didn't say, I haven't said that. No, you haven't. But I did repeat it. did initially. I did it for the beginning. At the beginning, I'd go, um, it's not, it's, I'm laughing at it now. But it wasn't laughable. I really meant it. I'd come and I'd go, oh, Charlotte, they've been so nice to me. They're, everybody's so nice and I've got friends and we're doing this. And and, and you go, Mum, that's normal. That's a normal life. And I, I obviously hadn't experienced a normal life because I didn't have friends. And if I did, I remember once being shouted at for putting lipstick on before I went, and so you think you look so clever with your lipstick on, or your lip, I think I put lip gloss on. And then he made me cry, and then I went out with my friends, and then got drunk. I'm not a drinker, but I got drunk that night, and, and I just yabbled some rubbish, but didn't tell anybody what was going on. I think I might have been a bit of a bitch, actually, because I was jealous of the other people's lives, because I wanted that family home life and and then going back and feeling incredibly sad but now I don't I don't feel like that. I go out I can make friends I can talk to people openly and I, and the more you talk openly to people the more people will be open to you and it's amazing how many how much other people have been through and now there will be somebody who'll go actually I've been through that um, or or what I've found now is that I do get people contacting me saying, I'm going through it. What can I do? Or can I talk? It's amazing how many people have done that. People from the past, people now. Uh, you know, just, just being open. I feel so different. When we don't talk about domestic abuse, it becomes a secret. The more we start talking about it, the less place it has to hide. I thought everybody else's life was amazing and mine was just crap. Um, but I didn't realise that there's a lot of people going through that. And what, what I found from your podcast the most was, uh, I've listened to it all, was I've learned a lot of stuff from it. And everybody's story, I'd listen to it and I'd go, oh, that's it. I remember that myself. And I'd go, oh yeah, I remember like that. that. They're saying the same yeah. scenario, the same incident but in a different life and or a different family and that's what i really want to highlight and yeah. even doing this i it's want to a, highlight I repeatedly can't. that yes yeah. it yeah, everybody's different and but the behaviors are the it's same, the same. It's, it's almost as if you're sort of addicted to that kind of relationship and well, yeah, there is co- it, that codependency yeah, system. Yeah, I didn't know, but I didn't even know what that meant, codependency, codependency until a counsellor said to me, do you think you're codependent? And I was, like, quite guarded. I went, no, <laughs> you know, and it, no, I'm not. And she went, well, it's like this. And I thought, okay, I probably am, because... Can you explain that a little bit, just give an example? Of, well, it's like, what you're used to. Yeah. It's just you're used to it, and that's your life. And then you feel like um, nobody loves you if you're not doing that that behaviours towards the person you're living with. So you're not saying to them, oh, how was your day? How wonderful you are. 
um, and giving them everything, making making the tea exactly how they want it, cleaning up, making sure they don't have to do anything, but you're like running around, as Mum used to call it, running around like a blue ass fly after them, you know, running around, making sure they're fine when you forgot about you. And, I mean, I, we could talk for ages. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I can't explain it. it, it I, I need to explain it in a better way, but at the moment I can't think of the words. No, you are explaining it really well. <laughs> don't put yourself down. All right. I thought my mum explained codependency very well, so just to add to it, it's the needs of one person being filled by the other in an unhealthy way. It's emotional abuse. It is not about labelling, re-victimising or blaming. It's just about understanding and identifying this. Codependency is the type of relationship important to remember, not the person. I want to add here that through Undiscussable, I've highlighted that anybody can be a victim of domestic abuse. We've heard many different voices throughout this series. Men and women, adult survivors of child abuse in the home, victims in LGBT relationships, any ethnicity, any economic situation... Domestic abuse knows no boundaries. This is my story, and about me and my mum, yes, but it's not unique. It's somebody else's story, and thousands more, maybe yours. I hope that in some way, though, it's a voice for all victims. How do you think I've changed during this process as well? Oh. As, as a child that was brought up in that environment, and as a child that was abused well, by him. Okay, well, when you were young you didn't have a voice you didn't feel like you could have a voice you'd be quiet and you'd get away from it so you'd go to your room or you'd get away from it and as an adult the most powerful thing we have is a voice so you have a voice now and you being able to talk about and being aware of it is really important and being kind to yourself and loving yourself and also understanding working through those behaviours even now that you've got through being in such an abusive relationship and such an abusive atmosphere the atmosphere was so hard as in I was in an abusive relationship with him yeah yeah as a child yeah yeah yeah, you, you've you changed so... I mean, our relationship has changed so much. Well, I, I feel it's it has. Yeah. We've opened up and spoken and understood each other, understood what we've been through. I almost feel like... I remember one saying to you, but it's my, it's my story, but it's not it's our story. Because it's what I was not going to get emotional again. It's what, you know, it... it it's what happened to you as a child and you weren't in control of it then you were a child and you couldn't do anything about it but now you're an adult you have choices you didn't have choices when you were a kid there was you know you were there you were in it yeah because I think emotional for me talking about it because I still feel really sad for that little girl is it me? Mm -hmm. See, I'm getting really emotional about that. <laughs> More emotional for my, for you rather than me, because you were that little girl, and I remember your face. 
and I remember you sat on the sofa being quiet quite early on in the relationship. Oh, sorry. No, no don't <laughs> say sorry. I, no, I don't when nobody, we don't say sorry. It, it's just, who says sorry the most? <laughs> uh-huh. I say sorry far too much. Yeah, we both do. So there. No, it's what, you know. Yeah, I mean, some of the things from a child perspective, um, you, yeah, you were right. Like I used to just be com- go completely quiet, and it's safer, it's so, isn't it? Safer, yeah, it's safer. Yeah, so it's so in a, in a weird way, it's so clever what we do as as children because I've worked through this with a psychologist for the last couple of years. That she always said to me, which really helped me, was that like be proud of of what I did then because I had these what are described as maladaptive behaviours, which are coping mechanisms that I developed subconsciously to be safe, well, to try and be as safe as I possibly could. So for me, it was like, if I make myself as invisible as possible, then it would be the best way to try and be safe. So like, I soon learned that if I cried, it would make it worse. So then I stopped crying and I could actually control, you know, he could do whatever and I wouldn't cry towards the end because, or I'd go and cry elsewhere in my room or to you because if I cried it would make him worse and things like I would just not speak ever when I was in the situation and I even did that as an adult when I sat and and was with you as an adult because because if it was about me if we spoke ever about me it would aggravate him so then I just never spoke about me and it's really interesting because that's something I then carried on into my adult life and I would never never speak about myself But that's something I've had to work on even now because I even find it's so funny because um, one of the um, women I was part of a trauma group with um, said to me, you never answer the question when I ask you about you. Why did you do that? And I was like, oh my God. And it's so weird because I work in a media industry. Mm. and But because, yeah, because I suppose that was just trained and ingrained in me that I was never important enough to speak about myself. <laughs> oh, I yeah, I know. Um, it's, it's, you know, I'm it's, saying this though because I'm to communicate what it's like yeah, for a child, it's, I mean, it's and it's really important too. to address those things. Yeah. And then the other thing is, like you said, I'd I would detach myself. So there's like a coping mechanism, and in psychology terms, it's called detach protector. And mm. that was my. That's what I used to do. I'd just completely be a zombie and detach from it. And that's what I described myself as. I became like a zombie because then, you know, I if I, I couldn't allow myself to feel anything or feel an emotion because it was too dangerous and it was too scary. But yeah, I think those things served me though as a kid because it was, it was a dangerous situation. We were, every day we were in fear, like you said about your, the way you held your body. Like I was always on edge, you know, always had nightmares, never really slept. It was always I used to listen to see where you were in the house and to see where he was in the house. And I used to and I could tell whose even tiniest movement it was, whether it was yours or whether it was his. And then I'd I'd just listen to be able to see who was safe. Because, you know, you said about you were scared he would do something to you and he would kill you. I was scared he would kill us. As a kid I was scared of that. But then as an adult, it's really important that you go back and you address if you are a child that was brought up in that situation. It's so important to go back and address it. And the reason why is because those coping mechanisms 
serve you and are great when you're trying to survive and they're amazing that I did that Mm. but as an adult you know being detached from emotion and not trusting and not letting people in and you know I mean I couldn't cry for so long I couldn't even cry like that was one of the biggest things yeah. yeah I sat in you know my group for two years and it's only now that I've been able to let some emotion out and cry because I just couldn't cry because it was too painful to even go there. But it's great because by going there, I've been able to address the things that I needed to address. And one of them, the other thing you said was about um, being kind to yourself. Like one of the things that I became was I became so harmful to myself. I almost yeah, took yeah. on his voice and his role. I took it on and then had it and and took him on, on my shoulder with me everywhere I went, telling me that I wasn't good enough and that I had to push myself mm. to be able to be good enough and I wasn't allowed I knew, to rest, yeah, I wasn't yeah. allowed any treats, yeah. I wasn't allowed. And I, I did that as an adult to myself. Yeah, I remember. And, yeah. But it's in, I'm not saying it was my fault in the slightest and it's never a child's fault, but I needed to look at what my own behaviours because I was a child that was abused so that I can be a healthy adult. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's And it's hard, because I've still got work to do on me, as what it was like. Yeah, it's, it's just what it was like seeing that. And I remember one saying, what a really rubbish mum I, that I'm to probably tell it to you, but to myself, what a really rubbish mum I was not to have walked out at that time not to have got rid at the beginning yeah I mean yeah I mean I I sometimes well I do feel I feel guilty for that particularly when I hear other people have left or or split up with their husband wife partner whatever because for the sake of the kids and I never did that and I was just so in it I know but you can only make decisions on on your own realisation so you were making decisions on a on what you created as a reality which was a false reality I created that in my own head I made it all up I believe that I could have done that but I did um, yeah, I made it all up to make it to be it's more like a fantasy, fantasy thing. My mum quite often says this, that she was in her own fantasy of what she desperately wanted, a loving family unit. That's what she means by, I made it all up. She made up and convinced herself of what she fantasised about, which makes me feel really sad because all she wanted was a loving family and to feel loved by someone. But that is what perpetrators tend to prey on. She ignored what was really going on to try and convince herself and the outside world that she had the happy family she'd always longed for. Facing the reality that that wasn't the case was so hurtful and made my mum feel like she'd failed. It's very common for victims to feel like this, to blame themselves. What is important to understand is that this is what the perpetrator does, puts it on the victim, so they blame themselves. And that is one of the many ways they manage to keep them. My mum did face what was going on many times. She did try to leave before, 
but she was trapped not only by the lack of support, his financial control and fearful threats, including people whitewashing his behaviour and telling her to stay, but her own guilt, lack of self-worth and belief that she wasn't good enough, all put into her head by him. Imagine looking around you to try and find an escape, but you're told that everything that is happening is your fault, not just by the person abusing you, but by society too. I'm so proud of my mum. What do you think would have helped you then? Then? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think anything... Well, I do know, but then that means I've put the blame on somebody else. It's not about putting blame on somebody else. I know what you're going to say anyway. <laughs> I think. I think what would have helped you is if... And this is not putting the blame on anybody or mentioning anybody, but I think if, if family and people around and friends would have said you know, come on, this is not what, this is not right. You know, if they'd have helped you and given you a safe space, I reckon you would have left. And I know that because that was not what you were told when you did reach out. And you did, so you must have realised early on because you did reach out. I did reach out earlier on and I was told. um, It it sounds like I was a child, but I I was because I didn't have a chance to mature you might say I mean you did have me as a teenager yeah I did yeah I had you so you were a child three was it three weeks after my 17th birthday Uh, yeah about three weeks after my 17th birthday I gave birth to you and it seemed like everybody else was in control of my life yeah because (laughs) you were a kid though you were a kid having a kid yeah I was a kid oh yeah when I think every so often I think how young I was when I had you, and it shocks me, because if I'd look at a 16-year-old child, now I think, whoa. Because you fell pregnant with me at 16. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I did. It's quite, you know... Because I know that, again, it's not mentioning anybody. I'm just saying this because I think also it's really important to educate other people. It's not about just... You know, this isn't just speaking to people that have experienced this or are survivors or victims or even, you know, even if you feel like you've got perpetrator behaviour, like, you know, I think sometimes it's a fine line um, between victim and perpetrator. And um, but also it's about educating society and people that haven't experienced it and family to understand that that it can be helped and it's not something that just happens it's just a domestic or like yeah, you, it happens that. behind domestic, closed doors yeah, oh, or, right. you know, you it's, know or, or it's just the way they're, they are, you it's know, or, they, or we don't want to, we don't want to interfere. And it's like, if we can educate other people around as well, because I feel like if people would have understood, mm-hmm. then you would have been helped and I would have been helped and my brothers would have been helped because, you know, I know that you were told that, well, it's your bed, go and lighten it. Oh, yeah, that's when one of the first times I'd had enough. When you made your bed, you lie in it. That was a really old fashioned. Yeah, so, so it's important to get yeah. rid of those stereotypes yeah, and to get rid is. of those phrases. I don't know if people stay, still say those things, but. And that, you, you know, you do have, people do have a choice, and it's yeah, really I felt important like to. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. I felt like. That this, well, in, in domestic abuse, you don't feel like you've got no, a choice. That's how you're kept in is. domestic yeah. abuse. Oh, it's so that's why it's so important exhausting. to educate as much as possible. Yeah, I feel like I've wasted so much time 
but yet again it happened so I'm just so pleased that we've had this two years to heal I had to feel like I had to do it to to ensure that you lot would have a better adulthood and a better ability to be able to have relationships and have your own families and be healthier and, and we're going to we're yeah we are breaking the been, cycle we have been working damn hard <laughs> for two years and it has been hard <laughs> there there has been tears and laughter the, the journey has been like a yeah. roller coaster and it's about you know addressing addressing what's happened um, addressing how that triggers you and how it creates certain behaviours in yourself um, yeah, yeah. and also it's about relearning and re-educating what a healthy relationship is but it's also about what you have to do is you have to constantly think when you're out uh, for me now if I'm meeting somebody new female male child <laughs> work colleague doesn't matter I, um, I surprise myself about being me but I still I'm, I'm think more I'm more able to listen now I'm interested in other people because I was he didn't like being interested in other people it's all about him yeah. so I'm actually interested in other people and like that and find out learning a lot and listening to people and smiling but what I have noticed is I do smile a real smile because you used to say to me mum smile in the photo oh, God, I am smiling but now I realised it wasn't a real smile now I have a real real one where yeah, my cheeks go really up. smiling now yeah because <laughs> I was thinking yeah I have been, I've had a lot of smiles today I mean, there were days where I felt really low, like really low. But as time goes on, it gets better and better, as you know. What I do find is if I'm in a situation where I hear people arguing, I get really stressed. Yeah, me too. And never, like even in the supermarket today, I told you I'd heard a lady shouting to somebody, um, she was having a conversation, and they were arguing. and. I, I could feel my, my anxiety level going really high because I hate any any raised voices or any arguing because I felt really stressed and I felt like I wanted to comfort her because yeah. I didn't know her. I sort of like moved away because I wanted to get out of that situation yeah. um, very quick. But And as you know, I feel like I can't live anywhere up in the part of the country where I've from. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like I can live up live up there anymore. For the past year now, my mum's lived with me in another part of the country. She felt so unsafe being in the same area as him. He continued to follow and threaten my mum after she left. This has even continued on and off up to now, despite being told by the police to stay away from her. Every time she saw a car that looked remotely like his, she would go into this major panic and get severe anxiety. This was her home, but because of him, she's had to leave everything. The system penalises victims. It took 22 months after leaving for her to get any access to her own finances and to divorce him. It can be done, though. My mum is making a new start, and as a family, we all are. 
to finish, what is your favourite thing that you you like to do that you couldn't do in that relationship? Have friends. <laughs> God, it's not even funny, is it, that we're no, laughing about that? No, it's not funny, but I just thought about that because <laughs> last night I made a friend and I was like, oh, made a new friend. He did say to me, oh, I made a few friends last night. Yeah, your friend. Talk about people and enjoy other people. Have friends. So, yeah. And that that's... To having friends. Yeah, <laughs> to having friends. And also putting on... I remember putting on what, what you want to put on, what clothes you want to put, which has been really hard deciding, going to the shops and actually, what do I like? <laughs> Again. Um, yeah, because actually, like, it just reminds me... Like we are gonna finish, but it just reminds me that um, <laughs> just laugh I know. Um, it reminds me actually that you know going back to when you said about the clock, um, and I said to you, I'm not, I'm not deciding for you. Is one of the things that, you know, we've both had to work through a lot of things in different ways. And I remember speaking to my psychologist and and my friends and 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 really making a conscious decision because I would, like you know when you know you've been living with me for the last year well this all gets sorted out and I would because I always wanted to protect you I almost like parent and mother you so then I I was like had to make a decision to to I had to really consciously step back a little bit from doing things for you all the time because you needed to make your own decision I had to be yeah to learn to do not no, yeah, it's like I'm, as if I've just been to learn to do things for myself. No, it's no, to make decisions yeah, myself. And you to, would say to me, "Oh, what? Well, what do you like? What do you think?" And then I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, I like this one." And then, and you would sometimes like if I say you say you like something, and I say I don't like it, you would change your mind yeah, straight away. Yeah. You'd be like, "Oh, well, I don't like it either." Yeah, well, and so that's then I because I was never allowed to have my own no, opinion of course, yeah, I'd choose to like his because. But you had to like his. That was always a thing. Yeah. You know, you had to like whatever. Well, if I didn't, you'd get... Exactly. Sulks or the whatever. It would be horrible. Yeah. yeah. And it'd be scary. And, but yeah, so that's something that I also had to do so that, you know, you could grow as well so I wasn't just doing everything for you. Oh, so that's what you've been doing. <laughs> no, I still do a lot for you. you. I know you do, I know you do. I have got better. Don't even joke. I have got better. Yeah, no, you have. I mean, I've made quite a few decisions and done stuff. No, you've done brilliantly. And some of the times I've looked at things I've had to do and felt a bit like, oh, it's like climbing a mountain. If, you, if you'd given me a mountain to climb it, it'd have been a damn sight easier. And some of the stuff I've had to do, but then I've I've actually gone back to it the next day and done it. So the the more I do things, the less it's like climbing the mountain. Yeah, and look at where we are now. It's very different from when yes. I was recording this originally. Oh yeah, well I when I listened to that chapter five, I thought, oh, I'm not saying much. That doesn't give much information, does it? <laughs> I can't believe I'm I'm not saying that. You know, and I looked at it, and, and at first I didn't recognise my voice. I was like, is that me? Mm-hmm. Right, and then I thought, well, I know what I was saying. It is very powerful. Though. it wasn't, I didn't feel like it, I could have said more. But at the time I couldn't, because I, st- I wasn't ready. No. But I wasn't it, ready. You know, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I remember in that flat, sort of crying, thinking, oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So the bi- yeah. the biggest thing that that I've been working on um, is like I, you know, you've done it a few times during this conversation. Is and I think a lot of us do it is criticize ourselves all yeah. the time, all the time, all the time, and that's what creates a lot of anxiety. It also keeps you in depression mm-hmm. because if you think about it, you're just abusing yourself. Yeah. Um. You're just having that voice is just being horrible to yourself and one thing that's really helped me it's like you know would you say that to a young child like yeah. no you wouldn't yeah. it's horrible why do we say it to ourselves well, never and so say that to a child, ever, I've, ever. no so what I've been doing is and it's really really helped um, and helping is I just say that critical voice when it says that I'm not good enough and you know I'm a failure which is what mine says to me all the time and oh. that I'm you know, not, not good enough because that's what he always used to say to me um, but I I just say I don't need you you don't serve me you don't help me You all you are is something this is to my critical voice yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. him you are just something that keeps me down and that keeps me in trauma and you don't help me and you don't serve me and then I say, I am lovable and I am good enough. And that's what I repeat yeah, to myself. Nice place, so yeah. I think that's a, ni- yeah, a nice yeah. way to finish. Yeah, I, I think I... And even I if you don't believe those messages to start with, because I didn't, I found it really uncomfortable to say to myself, I am lovable, I am good enough. Okay. And I sometimes whisper it under <laughs> my breath when I do stuff. Because <laughs> yeah. it's hard to say those. And even yes. if you it's uncomfortable and you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. If you keep repeating those things and remember that whenever you mm. criticise yourself just separate don't fight it because fighting it doesn't work I spent my entire life fighting to try and prove that I was good enough yeah, yeah, and all yeah, it did yeah. was it you know it just... it it made me depressed mm. um and it and it made it very difficult for me to have a healthy relationship because I never felt good enough so I constantly was striving to 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 answer his voice all the time um but I don't feel like that anymore good because I am good enough and I am you lovable. You are good enough. You're amazing. So are you. Thank you. Thanks, mum. Now, now we say thank you instead of going. Oh no, I'm not. You go. Yeah, no. Thank you. Yeah. That's something. I've oh yeah. So when say. somebody compliments, say thank you and not like. Oh, oh no, no, oh, say, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> I like what you own. I go. Oh, this old thing. I just got it from the charity shop, and now I just go. Thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, yeah. So I had the. Um, critical I keep having the critical voice that says oh you're rubbish at work you're not good enough at your job um it doesn't come as often as it used to and remember when I lived in the flat before the temporary accommodation I'd write affirmations on pieces of paper and stick them around the house did they what did they say yeah I can do this you, yeah you are a nice I think I even just wrote you are a nice person yeah you did. On it and on bits of paper, and I stuck them around the kitchen. Yeah, you did. That helped considerably. Just looking at those and saying to yourself, "Thanks, thanks for doing it with me. Thank thanks you. for being so open and yeah. helping me do this as well. And thank oh, you important. to everybody for listening. And make sure you spread the word, please. Mm. It's really important." Like we try and educate as many people as possible and raise as much awareness. That's exactly what this is about. Thank you so much for listening. If you can relate to this or are in this situation, please know that you can get out of it. 
You aren't on your own. There are so many people that understand how you're feeling and what you are going through and what you've been through. Things can change and can get better. Undiscussable is an independent production investigated, hosted and produced by me, Charlie Webster, with production and editorial support by Tanya Hudson. Please head to charliewebster.com forward slash undiscussable for more details, help and support, and please do share. If you would like to too, we would love for you to rate and review Undiscussable. It will help other people find it. Mm